Hello and welcome to For Your Reconsideration, where we go rock pooling on the forgotten beaches of cinema to stick our nets in and see what we find. We've got something. Will it be a cigarette stub or a sick barnacle thing? Or will it be a beautiful crab? Who knows, but to help me on our expedition, as Simon and James, how are you boys? <laughs> Wonderful. Oh yes, Rob. That was brilliant. <laughs> You painted such a wonderful picture. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Will it be a glorious lobster or a jellyfish with a brick in its face? <laughs> I don't know. This is the thing with rock pooling. This is it. You never know what you're going to get. Same as FYR. Oh, it's good to see you fellas. What have you both been watching? Uh, well, one thing I want to shout out, it's an oldie, but the first watch for me. So first watch this week, Escape from New York. Ooh, oh. That's a good movie. You've not seen that before? I've wow. never seen it before. I don't know why. It just slipped through the net. Just like, it's a cracker. It is a cracker. Just classic Russell, incredible score from Carpenter. He, he's quite a filmmaker, that John Carpenter guy. <laughs> Hot takes all over the shop. <laughs> and... um. Keeping up the Carpenter theme, he was uh, a bit of an influence on the film that I went to see at the cinema this week. So I was going to go and see Shang-Chi after uh, Simon's ringing endorsement. Then I saw that Jerry B was starring in a new Joe Carnahan movie, so I had to check that out. Like, <laughs> that was so up my street, I was all in for that. So I don't really know what it is with Jerry and why I'm so infatuated with him at the moment. I can't tell if he, if I like him as an actor or I just want to go for a pint with him. <laughs> it can be both. It can yeah, be both. Yeah, I, th- I think it could be both. <laughs> Either way, I find him really entertaining, and this new movie, Cop Shop, is no exception. So the movie itself is about a con man played by VOD action star Frank Grillo, who purposely gets himself arrested to hide out from a hitman, only to find himself in the same holding cell as said hitman, played by Jerry B. So... It's a lean 70s style thriller that is heavily indebted to Assault on Precinct 13 with a little bit of Reservoir Dogs thrown in for good measure. It takes a little while to come to the boil and it's not quite as tight as I was hoping it'd be. But once it gets going, it rattles along at a tremendous pace and it's absolute mayhem. The action is really well staged and while there's nothing here you haven't seen before, it's all so enthusiastically staged that you find yourself being swept up in its pulpy delights. Uh, There was an actress in it as well, Alexis Lauder, who is absolutely excellent. I wasn't really very familiar with her beforehand. She plays a rookie cop and she more than holds her own as the only woman amidst the bullets and unchecked testosterone. Also, a special shout out must go to the guy who designed Frank Grillo's wig. That disgusting (laughs) thing deserves its own movie, honestly. (laughs) I haven't seen a toop that bad in quite some time. I like Frank Grillo because uh, he's in the second um, Purge movie, which yeah, I really, good. really dug that second one. And it's it's very similar. Like, it's very John Carpenter, that one. So if this is along those same lines as being a, a sort of ode to John Carpenter, I, I'm in. I am in there, like, in like Flynn. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this is the second Joe Carnahan Frank Grillo vehicle that I've seen this year. If you've got Amazon Prime, guys, there's a movie on there called Boss Level, which is a time loop action movie with Frank Grillo, Mel Gibson, Naomi Watts. It's it's actually really, really good. Wow. So, yeah, that's well worth checking out. Nice. Fabulous, fabulous. What about you, Si? Uh, so this week I've been dipping into some classic and new horror um, as I took in Bernard Rose's 1992 Candyman and Nida Costa's recent sequel. 
but it's like a full as full blown a sequel as you're likely to get. So it's like really essential you watch the first one before the second one. And we we did do that before we went to cinema to watch the second one. But yeah, when it comes to the original one, I just genuinely think that is like top tier should be classic. That's just a really great premise executed with such intelligence and loads of inventiveness as well. That all completely went over my head as a gore-seeking teenager. Because I, I, I remember being quite underwhelmed by it when I was a kid, just being like, oh, is that it? But yeah, watching it now, it's just completely different. Um, like it all just look, looks and feels so tangible and like really authentic. And it's just really great, that first one. It just completely blew me away on a rewatch. As for the latest one, I enjoyed it, but maybe not as much as the original. And maybe because it's like the broad stroke social commentary all felt a bit on the nose this time around, where it was a bit more subtle and subtexty in, in the original. For that reason, it didn't quite get under my skin as much as that as that first one did. And it, it was lacking in Tony Todd's wonderful, raspy voice, like proper scaring the bejeebus out of me. <laughs> But it's got some suitably creepy moments, a stunning score. It's really great score and some like amazing like shadow puppetry where that when they go back and explain the mythology of Candyman and all the the history behind it. It's all done by like shadow puppets and it's it just looks fucking wicked. It's so good. So yeah, it was a good double bill this week. I mean, it didn't sleep for like 3 nights because <laughs> <laughs> Um, and neither did my missus uh, she thought Candyman had turned the fan off in the middle of the night but I just um, put it on timer so it turned off after three hours <laughs> she thought it was Candyman um, but no there's, there's a re- I wanted to just shout out um, a really good article uh, I wanted to point out from an American film writer called Richard Newby this article's on the Hollywood Reporter and it, it sort of compares the two and how the first one is like a commentary on black martyrdom from the white perspective and then the second one is this latest one sorry is through a black perspective and it's just a really great read like comparing the two and sort of taking a big deep dive into this new one and because of that i would watch the film before i read this article um because it does go really into the themes of it and the story of the movie itself it's like it's very spoilery but um yeah it's a really good supporting piece well worth checking out if you've seen the movie uh for sure so yeah amazing fabulous stuff um as always um i'm jealous of what you guys have managed to watch um because there's always a good eclectic choice um and some some classics thrown in as well um my wife and i this week have been watching a bit well i say i've been watching i've been lying there and reading a bit and having this happen in the background um but it's been this show clickbait on netflix oh which got yes I've heard adrian grenier as um a dude who's been killed, but um, he was, you know, sort of forced into some social media stunt beforehand. It was all about, you know, if if he if this gets five million likes, they're going to kill him or whatever. I think that's the the gist of it. And it's very twisty, very serpentiny, but it's made pretty well. It seems um, at eight parts. It's not doesn't outstay its welcome. So um, yeah, I've enjoyed it. It's been kind of cool. I've also been watching Vivo. On Netflix, which is a very noisy musical. <laughs> but, uh, They're all noisy. Uh, they are. Um, all, uh, it's a Lin Manuel Miranda uh, joint, 
uh, with plenty. He's done a load of songs, and he plays the titular monkey Vivo. Of course, he does. <laughs> it's underratedly harrowing, and features um, the death of an old person, <laughs> which came out of nowhere and smashed me up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, it was uh, that was okay. Uh, there is one other thing I've been watching. Oh, sorry, there is one song in that Vivo movie that's sung by a very loud child and now my own very loud children won't stop singing it and it's <laughs> it's really doing my head in now <laughs> it's getting a bit much is it aimed at kids or is it just kid friendly yeah no i think it's fully aimed at kids fully yeah. aimed at kids um i think it's a you as well so it is fully aimed at kids but um cuz he wrote the songs for Moana didn't he he did yeah um these these have very much more of a musical flourish to them as in, uh, you know, like uh, like a, a stage show kind of flourish, because mm. they tell story at the same time. Like a, a girl goes missing at one point, and characters are singing to each other. Have you seen my daughter? I think she got on this bus. <laughs> you know, that that's kind why of I thing. Ha- that's why I hate musicals. I know, they, just I'm with you. <laughs> they just sing the script, and it's like yeah, just, yeah, sing yeah. a song and speak the script. Don't just sing everything. That's the thing, man. <laughs> you are spot on. You are spot on. Um, so yeah, but no, this is this is definitely. A musical in animated form, definitely. Right. There is one other movie I saw this week, but I'm going to hold on to it because it actually <gasps> crops up in our questions section. Oh, moment. lovely. So hold on. Saucy. Um, but before we go any further, there's something else uh, we need to talk about. Um, and that is we've got a little shout out for our good friends over at Filmbusters. James, you, you could you tell us a little more, please? Yes, absolutely. So our friends over at the Filmbusters pod reached out to us and asked us if we would pick a film for them to cover on their latest episode. A proton pick, if you will. It's all in keeping with the theme of of, uh, of tonight's episode. We were, of course, delighted to be asked. And being us, we hit them with some cage. So if you head over to <laughs> Filmbusters this week, they will be discussing and dissecting 1997's action classic, Face Off. Uh, so Adam, Ben and Paul are a top bunch of guys. Their podcast is excellent and they cover everything from Jaws sequels to harrowing European art house fair like funny games. So if you haven't already, please head over to Filmbusters and check them out. Awesome. Awesome. Are you troubled by the dominance of the Marvel and DC cinematic universes? Do you experience feelings of dread and dreamscapes while watching the latest David Lynch offerings? Have you or your family seen anything better than Whiplash? If the answer is yes, then don't wait another minute. Open your podcast catcher and subscribe to The Professionals. Filmbusters. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your cinematic needs. Oh, come on. You got? How can it not? That was so interesting. I didn't give a shit. It's one of the worst I've seen this year. But I think it's a great study on, the, on uh, mental health. It's great. And get, give, give Joaquin that Oscar. Give it to him. Well, there might be someone else. There may be, but give it to him. Just give him an extra one. Wait a minute. Did you say you shed a tear? Yeah. Oh, victory, victory. Oh, Sweet victory. Wow. At the very end. That ended. Yes. I was actually handing an olive branch, but then you could not accept it. That's why. Bullshit. I'm sorry. It's a, it's an empty shell of a film. This film, I can't see anyone who'd enjoy it. I don't even know who it's for. I think it's probably even meant to be for us. And like, if we're not finding it good, who's finding it good? Well, that's fucking cinema, man. Film busters. We're ready to enlighten you. Top man. Um, so we had a question from the Twitter ether, didn't we? Um, I can't remember what it was now. 
It's all right. I've got it, Rob. Don't worry. Thanks, mate. Thank you. <laughs> Someone's got to do the admin. <laughs> no, yeah. I'll do the little ditties about crab fishing or whatever it was. <laughs> uh, so, our top listener, Jamie Russell. All of our listeners mm. are top listeners. So They really are. Um, but, yeah, Jamie's been with us for quite some time, and he sent us a, a little question in. So, he starts it off by saying... Personally, I love the sequels to Train Spotting and Blade Runner, for example. But it took me a long time to watch them due to my feelings on the original. What is the best approach to a sequel or of a beloved original film, in your opinion? What are your best examples of this? I love this question. It's now that I remember question. what it is, I do love this question. Sai, <laughs> um, what, what are you thinking? Two things sort of leapt to my mind. Uh, first and foremost, time. I think, I think leaving a gap between the first one and the second one, you know, to bring out it, it reduces any sort of accusation of it being like a shameless cash in. Which, yeah, let's be honest, a lot of sequels, especially big studio sequels, are shameless cash ins. And yeah, you know, much like Candyman, I, I spoke about there, which completely dismisses those original cash grab sequels in terms of its like timeline and takes everything from the first film and brings it up to date. 30 years later from when the original came out almost 30 years later yeah that you know jamie mentioned train train spotting that's a good one where it left a really big gap between the first and second one blade runner again which jamie said was it did the same and i'm glad he mentioned blade runner because daniel villeneuve's uh sequel (laughs) is so good and one of the best films of the last 10 years and no fucker went to see it. <laughs> it's just really annoying that it didn't do so well at the box office when it's absolutely brilliant. It's a great film. Another thing as well, which like I'd say is a good thing, is sort of switching it up genre-wise and taking risks which the, which the original didn't do. Um, and I'm really going to... So, so, sorry, lads. I'm going to go all film bro here <laughs> and uh, mention The Dark Knight because... That feels like a massively different film to Batman Begins. And then yeah. Dark Knight Rises after that is a much different film to The Dark Knight. And then I'd say the same for like Terminator 2 and Aliens, where they're like more action-based rather than horror-based, which what the, which the predecessors were. Yeah. So just switching it up like that and, and, and going for something a bit different um, rather than just rehashing the same old shit. Um <laughs> is an, is another thing I think to, for a successful sequel. I don't mind sequels that much, you know. They, no. they, 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 a lot of people take umbrage with those, but um, we cover yeah. enough of them on this bloody podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're a sequel friendly environment, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and reboots, sequels, and reboots. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so much I agree with their um, their side. Um, for me, I think it's um, take. The key ingredients of what made, makes the original successful, distill them down and work out why it was much loved enough to grant a sequel. Now things are quite a bit different, aren't they? A lot of things get a sequel that aren't really that revered. <laughs> but, you know, like when tonight's movie came out, you know, if it was a sequel, it was a big deal. You know, yeah. like, mm, oh, yeah. wow, it obviously it really must was. have been a monster success, the original. Um, so I think, yeah. Distill down what made the original great, um, but then and either up the ante, you know, up take the uh, up the ante somehow. Um, for me, I think a great example of this is that for me these two films are both perfect. So, but Back to the Future one and two, yeah. Um, somehow in the second one, they managed to up the ante again on that original timeline. 
I know I've mentioned this before, but I just think the second half of Back to the Future, going back to the undersea dance with another timeline and another load of Jeopardy, is that is how you've... Oh, I just love it. I want to watch it again right now. Um, <laughs> the other film, the other way you could do it is, again, yeah, take a sidestep, go in a completely different direction. An answer I've got to this that came out of nowhere was from a watch this week. So do you remember the, the 1997 Mr. Bean movie <laughs> with Peter <laughs> McNichol? I'm deadly serious, lads. I am deadly serious, right? 97, the movie with Peter McNichol, the one where he's, you know, he's being, you know, oh, Whistler's mother and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> You know, and he's he's giving the finger to people because it's a new expression he's learned on the LA highways. It's a classic, by the way. It's a brilliant film. Uh, and then, um, then, then the two thousand. I watched this week the two thousand and seven sort of sequel, Mister Bean's Holiday, and literally it couldn't be more different in tone. It's a French house film. It re- <laughs> like legit, it is. Like there's barely any dialogue. It looks totally different. It's much more. Um, uh, about those, you know, those like he's a silent film star in this. Well, and like the TV of, show, though, wasn't it? Because that yeah, was a very yeah. silent film, it's, wasn't it? Honestly, it, there's about ten lines of dialogue in the whole film, and it's all just his physical comedy, and it's all it's all very whimsical and lots of you know, um, like almost like it plays out like a mime at times. It's just it's absolutely <laughs> mad, and lots of you know like um, whimsy on the accordion. Sorry, that was the bugle from The Punisher. Sorry, <laughs> making a guest appearance. It, it was insane. Willem Dafoe is in that movie. Incredible. And it's got it's got the broad brushstrokes of yeah, telling a story with just you know. Here's a challenge. We'll do. We'll tell a Mr. Bean adventure totally differently. And I so I I was so surprised watching it because um, I heard it was bad. I just think people misunderstood it. Really think it misunderstood it. Seriously, but I really liked it. So there you go. Two ways of doing it. Uh, James, what about you? What are you thinking? Yeah, I think it depends entirely on the film that preceded it. So I think, you know, Blade Runner is a really good example. So there's a whole universe of possibilities that that first film sets up for exploration. So in that instance, you want to see the world explored further, which is what 2049 does. For some franchises, you just want more of the same. So everyone talks about John Wick in terms of, oh, lovely world building and look at how they've built out the world of the uh, of the hotel and the underworld of assassins it's like i'm not going to watch a john wick movie for that i'm going to watch keanu reeves cat falls for 90 minutes that's <laughs> that's what i'm lining up for um, and speaking of keanu reeves as well it's a really good point that simon makes regarding the timing in between sequels the trailer for the new matrix film came out this week I'm absolutely buzzing for that. Yeah. I didn't. I don't even like the Matrix sequels that we currently have, but I'm all in. <laughs> yeah. Give me some more of that. It's the same with um, nostalgia. Can be very powerful when it comes to a sequel. I remember when Jurassic World was coming out, which is a movie I'm not a great, a, a huge fan of, but I was absolutely pumped for that movie because of the way the the time gap between um, that film and the original one in 1993, the, the way that it was sort of a soft reboot, but also a continuation. So you want to see that exploration of the world as well. But then some films as well, if you just like the characters, it's just like, right, it's more of the same, which I would argue tonight's film is kind of more of the it same. Is, yeah. But you like the characters enough. All right, they're just going on another adventure. It's more about the characters. Yeah. So it depends, I think, if it's more of an ideas-led franchise or a characters 
uh, a co- more character-based Ooh, yeah. franchise. Yeah, Indiana Jones, for example. Indiana Jones, exactly, that yeah. character, you go anywhere with him. Yeah, you know the three films are uh, are all have different. Well, he fights the Nazis in two of them, doesn't he? So it is a, there is a uh, um, a degree of more of the same, but it's so enjoyable because you're so invested in that character in the in the first place. Notice you didn't say four films, James. Well, there's, there's only a four, three. there's a fourth one. There's only three. <laughs> <laughs> didn't film four like put them on and said we've got all the Indiana Jones films. Watch the three of them. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but yeah, case in point, absolutely buzzing for that new Indiana Jones yeah, five. Yeah. I can't remember seeing four, but this fifth one looks it's uh, <laughs> looks like it's going to be Is that fifth in inverted commas. <laughs> yes. Don't know why they're calling it the fifth. <laughs> Crazy guys in marketing. Uh, we also had a, another quick question, if I can throw that in from our yeah. uh, listener from across the pond, uh, Rob McElroy. So he wanted us to talk about comedy sequels. And essentially, why are comedy sequels more difficult to do? It's the thing of like doing the same joke twice, isn't it? It's like really because you're putting your A material out in that first movie. And the two which come to my mind, Hangover, the second Hangover movie is absolutely atrocious. Like, I was really bad. I was in the cinema just like cringing, just be like, why is this funny? They've like actually murdered someone. Like this is not funny. Um, and then uh, Anchorman as well. The second one was just so gut wrenchingly disappointing. <laughs> like, really? but because it, it was just all the same jokes, but they were all a bit yeah. older, and it was a bit sad. Like <laughs> what they were doing. Um, it is. It is tough, isn't it? Which is why, which we'll probably get into with Ghostbusters Two. Why it got a bit of a raw deal. The comedy. St- Good in Ghostbusters too. You know, yeah. you have to appreciate that when the jokes land again for a second time. Yeah, because of the you know these these films like Anchorman and Hangover where they really don't, and you're just like, oh god. <laughs> I think as well there's like um, an idea that the, the first of first is you know instance or instalment of a successful comedy film. There's an element of lightning in a bottle to it. It's like that's yes, the exactly. first time yeah, those, those yeah. elements have come together, and it's so exciting and so fresh, and you don't know where it's going to go. That it's like you say, it's all just about telling the same joke again, isn't it? Really, because yeah. the the central joke is that like they've not done a Step Brothers two, have they? No, no. But they've had, they've sort it's sort of been mooted, but they've never. Oh, I don't think they're ever going to do it now. Well, I hope they don't, but uh, because it would just. I mean, the joke was. That they're grown men living with their parents, <laughs> yeah. and if you just do that again, then yeah, it's just the same, you know. And so it's, yeah, I don't know. But then there's some people who absolutely love this kind of thing, and that's why you, they often get accused of being cash money grabs, don't yes, they? Yes, definitely. Know? Yeah, I think the thing is, is when something's successful, you want to try and repeat it again, particularly from a studio perspective, because it's almost like printing money, isn't it, at that stage? I think when it comes to comedies, though. They can't just get by on the on in terms of franchising. They can't just get by on the strength of jokes alone. So they almost have to have another element to it, which is why action comedy sequels are quite successful because you have the action element in it. And uh, with mm. Ghostbusters Two, which we're going to talk about later, you know, there's a supernatural and adventure element to it. It's not just hanging solely on the comedy elements it, it all depends on how far you can stretch that initial concept whereas if it's just a comedic sort of everyday concept like getting really drunk on a on a stag party 
as in The Hangover, it's going to be difficult <laughs> to stretch that over two or three films. That's very true. Yeah, it's just it's just frustrating why they don't just go to the filmmakers. Here you go. Here's the money to make another film. Do something else instead of. I mean, it's got an already baked in audience, hasn't it? So High guy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You guaranteed a certain amount because The Hangover was wildly successful, wasn't it? Like more than the expected. I when that came out. I was going to work and people were like, everyone was talking about it. Like, this is one of the best films, funniest films I've ever seen. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So, of course, it's going to get a sequel. But, yeah, that's very interesting what you say, James, because I think that's really spot on, that it, it mm. probably needs something else to carry along the comedy for it to for it to work. What, other exam- what examples do you think which are good comedy sequels? Good comedy sequels? It's really hard. I find it's it hard. It's really difficult. Yeah. I mean, Rob himself in the, in the question says that he can't think of many off the top of his head, although Ghostbusters 2 is one of his favourites. Yeah, but that's obviously got that, um, it's got that sort of crutch, hasn't it? I nearly said crutch. Yeah. <laughs> it's got that crutch of um, of it being a supernatural sort of action. Yeah, I mean, the, the ones time. that spring to mind is I quite like Beverly Hills Cop 2, but that's got an action movie element to it. Same yeah. with Lethal Weapon 2, that has an action movie element to it. Austin Powers 2 is good. Spire yeah, Shackman's good. Austin Powell's yeah. good. I, 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 yeah, but all the you know the like the ones that had that lightning in a bottle thing. You know, like where, where you were saying, Sai, about uh, people around the water cooler, like, oh, have you seen it yet? You know, it's that good. You know, that kind mm. of thing. Super bad, knocked up. You know, they, these were like really immense hits at the time. Yeah, that sort of redefined what comedy was. Forty year old virgin again. They've not done, and I keep wondering whether they've not done sequels to any of these, have they? They did sort of a spin off to Knocked Up. This is forty with uh, Paul Rudd's character and his family. So ah. it's in the same universe, but it's not a direct sequel. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good that as well. Actually, yeah, I, I quite right. enjoyed it. I watched that well, recently. Can, it's quite. Can good. we get that to qualify? <laughs> we... Yeah, I don't think people liked it. <laughs> <laughs> It's really long though. Like Apato films are just so they do they do insist upon themselves. <laughs> like they're so long. <laughs> oh, do you remember um, when we went to watch what was that one? Was it Funny, Funny People? Funny People. Oh, yeah, it lasted forever. <laughs> like lit- the film that wouldn't die. Oh. Didn't like that. <laughs> it just on oh, because oh. that was basically just Apato going, "Look how many famous friends I have." And yeah, I'm going to make a movie about it. So uh, well done, mate. You look how your beautiful wife and your massive success. Well done. <laughs> Make us all feel like hacks. Um, so yeah, Hot Shots Part Deux is better yeah. than the original. Actually, that's that that's a is a one. great example. Yeah, but that's Make completely it... different from the first one, isn't it? Oh, it the is, Hot Shots yeah. Part Deux. It, it lampoons completely different movies to what the first one was. Naked Gun Two and a Half is good. Yes, I love I love Naked Gun yes. three and a third as well. <laughs> yeah. When yes. when he when he's like having that flash forward to his family life and he's got his kid runs up and he's got a, he's got the suit on and a grey wig. <laughs> Just a kid with a grey wig. <laughs> uh, that's that's a really interesting wrinkle to this discussion. I mean, fortunately, it's not something we're going to have to worry about too much because they just don't make comedies anymore. Ma- you know, mainstream. Yeah. Comedy is. I can't remember the last time a studio put out a, a really successful mainstream comedy. Yeah. Um, so the chances of them getting any sequels moving forward <laughs> is is, uh, is slim to none. Yeah, I can't. I, I mean, the last really good comedy I saw was 
book smart, but would uh, would that even be classed as a big studio one? But that was a bit of a sleeper hit, wasn't it? Yeah, and it was quite independent, I think, as well. It was yeah. quite a small budget. I don't know. There's obviously, you know, one will come along eventually and we'll have a fresh enough take on something. I'm surprised there isn't already, you know, someone's already whizzed out a, a pandemic-themed comedy. You know, I'm sure there's, you know, like a, a black comedy about that kind of thing, you know. Might be a bit too... Bit might too be raw. too soon, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. a little bit. <laughs> bit too um, Possibly, but um, I can imagine that coming at some point. Um, I don't know. Interesting. Really good discussion, though. Because um, sequels is, um, whenever they get announced, you know, there's that sort of like, oh my God, it's I love that thing. And then the, there's going to be more of it. But there's also that caveat that they're very rarely better than the original. Mm. And re- very rarely give you that hit of what you've been missing. Um, so it's, it'd be so interesting um, to see these things come out. I think... From what I've seen of of the, you know, if we're just going to slightly piggyback onto tonight's movie a little bit, the Ghostbusters Afterlife stuff all looks like they have this. They've gone for that approach that we talked about. They're doing something different, as in the setting is totally different. Yeah, and also they have obvious love and reference, uh, reverence, sorry, to the source material and what made it work. Um, and the humor, I think, getting Rudd in is a brilliant move. Um, because his comedy chops are spot on. Mm. It's interesting, very interesting. Well, with that, should we get on to tonight's movie? Yes. Oh yeah. Oh yes. And James, it was your pick, wasn't it? It is. So, when gallons and gallons of pink mood lube is discovered running beneath the city streets, the Ghostbusters must reteam to save New York and the ungrateful bastards who live there from a Carpathian himbo intent on world domination. I'm going to need your help here, guys. If there's something strange in the neighbourhood, <laughs> who are you going to call? Ghostbusters! Two. Ghostbusters 2. Two. Ghostbusters 2. Two of the Ghostbusters. <laughs> Roll the trailer. <laughs> America's largest city is about to pay for the nastiness of its inhabitants. When that day comes, when the slime starts to rise, the Titanic just arrived. When ghosts start arriving by the boatload, we gotta find the guys. There's only one thing to do. Sometimes weird things happen. Someone has to deal with it. And who are you going to call? All right, suck in the cuts, guys, with the Ghostbusters. The superstars of the supernatural are back to nuke the spooks. Two in the box, ready to go. Be fast and baby slow. Make some time. Don't put any of those old cheap moves on me. Okay? No, 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 no. It's different. I have all new cheap moves. Raise your spirits. <gasps> if we don't do something by midnight, you will be remembered in history as the man who let New York get sucked down into the tenth level of hell. And kick some slime. Looks like a giant jello mold. I hate jello. Oh, come on. There's always room for jello. Happy New Year! Close them. 
Ghostbusters 2. You're short, your belly button sticks out too far, and you're a terrible burden on your poor mother. Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis, and Ernie Hudson in an Ivan Reitman film. Ghostbusters 2. We're the best, we're the beautiful, we're the only Ghostbusters. Yeah. We're back! Who you gonna call? Ghostbusters 2, 1989. Uh, James, why why did you pick this and how? Tell me this doesn't... I don't know how this qualifies. Tell me, how how is this in front of us today? So there are numerous reasons, Rob. So uh, <laughs> uh, as you've already touched upon, there's a Ghostbusters movie coming out later this year, I think in about two months' time. It's, it's scheduled out in November. Oh, is it that soon? Nice. Yeah, uh, so I thought it was worth investigating whether the first sequel holds up as well as I remember. And I've mentioned this on previous episodes, but this was the first film I ever saw in the cinema. Uh, it's probably responsible for my love of going to the cinema. I saw it in December of 1989 at the Tatton Theatre in Gatley. I was five years old and scared out of my tiny little mind. Five <laughs> <laughs> so I know what happened here is that you guys must remember this is back in the day about 1986 possibly the real Ghostbusters cartoon yes hit TV yeah yes and I was a huge huge fan of that had all the toys and would watch it you know when I'd get in from school or or what have you and I that's that was the gateway into the Ghostbusters universe for me. And then what I think has happened is that my mum and dad have let me watch the live action Ghostbusters from 1984 on video. But when you're watching a video in the middle of the day with sun streaming in <laughs> from outside, and when you get a little bit bored or a bit scared, you wander off and go and play with some toys or whatever. So they thought, right, oh, he loves Ghostbusters. Let's take him to see <laughs> Ghostbusters 2. It's a PG. We're his parents. It'll be fine. And I must stress, I absolutely loved it, but I was absolutely terrified at three key points in this movie, which I'm sure will come up as we go through it. Can you signpost them when we're talking through the movie? Can yes, you This absolutely. is point one. I'm yeah. sure they're the same points uh, as, as me as well. Same here, yeah. Same here. Cool. Um, yeah, what about you, uh, Sai? What about you? Uh, well, I mean, like as pretty much every young lad in the 90s, you know, who grew up in the 90s, also grew up on these films and these toys and the cartoon. Um, just, I just absolutely loved everything about Ghostbusters. That was like, they were the top of the, the pyramid of my childhood. It was them, Turtles, Transformers, yeah. um, Visionaries, which is an obscure oh, one. That was, that was up there as well. I'm not, I'm not familiar with Visionaries. Oh, What's Visionaries? The Visionaries were brilliant. They, they, they were like two warring factions of knights, Ooh. and they had like holograms on their chests, and they could um, conjure up these animals from their chests. And they had like staffs as well, which had them as well. So the toys had these like wicked 3D holograms in them when you yeah. move them. Oh, they were oh, the visionaries. That sounds bazaar. well cool. They, they, yeah. it was well good. I had um, so some good. visionaries pajamas, which had a hologram on the chest. Yeah. So it it was so ace. Yeah, um, and uh, Galaxy Rangers as well was another obscure one, but that was like a crazy German slash Japanese production, which 
no one knows about, so I won't delve into the galaxy ranges. <laughs> but fucking love that. Um, but yeah, just just completely. Um, yeah, Ghostbusters was just enamoured with it all. Loved it through and through, even though it did scare the shit out of me. <laughs> like it really did as a kid, especially the films. Um, but I watched them endlessly, and I think with this second one, I think I watched this more than the first one growing up actually. Because I was more scared of the first one. The dogs really did yeah. it for me. I couldn't couldn't handle the dogs. This one is more kid friendly, yeah. definitely. One hundred percent. I think so. Because the the cartoon came out after the film, didn't it? The first. Yeah, film. between the two yeah. between the two live action films, and it's mm. yeah. I think it's the cartoon that really because then they started producing the toys, and when you get yeah. into the toys, then that's when the thing goes stratospheric, isn't it? In terms of the pop culture significance. Yeah. Yeah, so the, I think there was definitely a little bit of a course correction from the first film in terms of some of the more risque jokes that are absent from this one. Yeah, it, yes. it was it was very saucy, the first one. And there was a lot of smoking in the first one as well. I noticed yeah, that yeah. watching this one, there's not as much smoking from yeah. from Ray. I think there's one bit where Ray's holding a, an unlit cigar. That's all, you know, yeah. he's just holding it. <laughs> and also in this one, he doesn't get drained off by a sexy spectre. <laughs> What an Trained off. That is a bit great. Oh. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> I have to continue. Sorry. <laughs> well, I, I think that the. I read that this was a, a very deliberate, deliberate move. Stop it. I can't look at either of you at the moment. So, <laughs> This is a very deliberate move by the production, the producers, because of the mad success of the toys, was to sort of like, even down to the design of the ghosts, the ghosts in the movie are a lot more akin to the ghosts in the cartoon. Yes, they than, are. Yeah. yeah, than, um, you know, so they, they, yeah, they obviously had one one eye on this. Um, for, for myself, I wasn't allowed to watch the Ghostbusters movies at all until I was much older. So I didn't see either. I was so obviously responsible parents. But we had obviously we were massive fans of the toys, insane fans of the toys and the cartoon. Um, to the point that we've been actually watching quite a bit of the cartoon this week at home. Um, I, I love it because they're all on Prime. Oh, are they? You have to pay for them, but, but they're all on Prime. Yeah. Oh, oh, right, okay. But I mean, like, I think it was something like four ninety nine for season one, and there's like oh, twenty cool. episodes. So it was it it the so ace, but the the sense of scale in those like the world's about to end every week pretty much <laughs> you know like there's one about the, it's such a good show i absolutely love it yeah really great episodic adventures isn't it i remember i really remember there was an ichabod crane one where there was a headless horseman running a mock yeah. in central park and they had to stop this weird headless horseman <laughs> honestly it, it, it was so good and I, I honestly i loved that so much and the toys uh, like you guys I, I collected all the toys and um although Ah, oh this is still such a source of sadness. But um, the toys, I saved them all to hand on to my children, along with the Jurassic Park toys, some WWE wrestlers as well, or <laughs> WWF back then. So I had Rick Rude and Bar- Brutus the Barber Beefcake. You know, Ultimate Warrior. Ultimate Warrior, yeah, yeah, all those dudes. 92 Undertaker as well with the lovely big hat and the ripped. Oh, oh the, the best Undertaker. That is the, the best Undertaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. None of that American badass nonsense. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> and then we used to live in a sort of like an old farmhouse and I put stacked them all in one of the outbuildings and then a rat had the absolute cojones to crawl in there 
doody on everything and then die. Oh. Oh. So, like, the Ghostbusters just were covered in rat doody and a decomposed rat, and I had to throw them all. It was just the most depressing thing. And now he's dead into it, my little boy. And... You know, he's got a go. He's got an outfit. He's got a proton pack. Oh, wow! He absolutely yeah. loves oh, all this incredible. Stuff. Yeah, he he loves the ghost. But he's got Slimer bedding. He he absolutely Imbr- loves it. Oh, um, brilliant! It's yeah, double bed as well. He's got um, so it, a, a double bedding light. I was like, can Mrs. Parker? Do you think we can? <laughs> <laughs> Is there like a like a a fairly modern Ghostbusters cartoon? Have they carried it? Because it's amazing that he's into it and it's all on old. Based on old stuff. I don't know, to be honest. Um, I, I know there's been other iterations of it. No, it's, it's forced me forced him into it. But um, <laughs> basically, great, it was like, you're going to love this, lad. You know, like, you are going to love this. And then he loves the movies. So I've let him see the movies. And he, he absolutely loves them. He wants to watch the end of Ghostbusters 1 on the rooftop. We have to watch it over and over and over. From the minute that Ray's like... We used to toast marshmallows at Kate Campbell Wakanda. <laughs> you know, from that moment, he's like, we, we have to watch it right to the end here. Um, but as kids, sorry, for myself and the link to Ghostbusters, we had a VHS of the real Ghostbusters, the cartoon. And at the start of it, there were two trailers. One was for the Care Bears movie, which looked incredibly dramatic. And then, <laughs> then there was a super dramatic trailer for the live-action 84 Ghostbusters movie. and it, But it didn't have any humour. It was just absolutely incredible in terms of weight. And it just it, it opened with the Ghostbusters when they're walking up the steps, like, you know... You know what do they say when they're walking up and they're taking the pro- the, the blasters out? You know, like hit them hard, ready. You know that kind yeah. of stuff. Oh yes, prophet. I'm, I'm it's like, just so good. I, and we weren't allowed to watch it. And then and it was intercut with Ray's speech from when he's in jail. Like we're talking wrath of God type stuff, fire and brimstone coming out of the sky. And I remember as a kid, like ah, how can I watch this? But <laughs> <laughs> just not being allowed to. And. Um, then when Ghostbusters 2 came out, uh, my mum and dad got me the movie tie-in picture book. So I knew all the main scenes. Like, I, I was so, absolutely loved it. But I still didn't see this movie or the original Ghostbusters movie until the late 90s, I don't think. Wow, really? Which is mad. So yeah. you'd already seen, like, Jurassic Park and things like that before yes. you'd seen Ghostbusters. Incredible. Yep. 100%. 100%, yeah. Uh, well, they'd, they'd, they'd seen, me, seen what happened when they let me see E.T., so I think... <laughs> Like, this kid needs no help with the imagination department. Can't handle the actual family movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the only one of all of them that's a you. I can't. He's no good for him. Um, so it must qualify then. Um, James, budget and box office. I mean, I assume this had to be a huge hit. Yeah, you assume absolutely right. So the budget for Ghostbusters 2 was roughly $37 million. It was released in North America on June 16th, 1989, where it grossed $112 million before being released internationally later in the year. Can you believe that we used to have to wait six months to get the I blockbusters know. from America? Oh, I know. Imagine if Twitter was round. It wouldn't, be, it wouldn't even be worth watching anything. Everything would have been spoiled completely by that point. Yeah, definitely would have been. Uh, it then went on to gross a further 102 million uh, for a worldwide gross of 215.4 million dollars. Uh, this made it the eighth highest grossing film of 1989, but despite the impressive figures, it was still 67 million short of the first film's total revenue. Wow. Because 89, what a year for movies. Oh yeah, incredible. I think Last Crusade is the highest grossing 
film of that year. Rick Moranis had an incredible year because Honey, I Shrunk the Kids outgrossed Ghostbusters 2. No, Did he? Really? Wow. <laughs> oh, yes. That must have been for a lower budget as well, surely. First yeah, oh yeah, for sure, kids. definitely. We watched that earlier this year. It's quite good, actually. Me it's and my really son watched good. It. Yeah. yeah, it's really, really good. good. Some of the effects are still amazing. Absolutely. You do it practical, it doesn't age as badly. Preach, brother, preach. Yeah. I mean... What a what an actor Rick Moranis is because they're just not the same dude, are they? Really, from no. Tully and no. uh, the dad in Honey <laughs> Maybe Tully is, you know, like a proto Wayne Zelinsky, possibly. You know, when he finally gets with a lady in uh, yeah. in this movie, he sort of becomes a little bit more world aware. <laughs> and then a woman then gets they... hold of him, sticks a comb through his hair, and he's he's <laughs> all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I tell a lie. The highest grossing film of 1989 in the US was Batman. Worldwide was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Incredible Batman. year. Batman. Back yeah, to the Future really Part what? 2 as well. Did very well that year. Fucking Die hell. Hard in that mix. Um, oh, oh no. Days. Die Hard must have been the year before, I think. Was that was 88, it? possibly? It's not in the top 10. I'm just looking here. We've got uh, oh, Lethal dear. Weapon 2. Wow. Dead Poets Society, one of the top grossing films of the year. Can you imagine that the, nowadays? Born on the 4th of July. That's a Tom Cruise, Oliver Stone post-Vietnam <laughs> movie. <laughs> I'm sorry, you're right. Die Hard is 88. I apologise. That is a slap the wrist. That is a Dr. Week's wages for that. Get out. No, get out. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. I thought it was 89 as well, to be honest. Kickboxer was 89, although it's not on the... Uh... <gasps> I mean, two films in our parish were in 89. Uh, Tango and Cash and Black Rain were also 89. Yeah, what they're not in the top 10, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, no, well, they weren't the height. They, were, they didn't gross, did they? Yeah, there's, a, there's so much shit in 89. It's buzzing. <laughs> um, so we know, well, it has to be critical reception, Si. Well, yes. I mean, outrage. Go easy on us, please. I can't. It's not as bad as you think, but it's still outrageous that it qualifies. Um, it qualifies by being 52% on the tomato meter for critics and 56 on Metacritic, with the general consensus being that it, while it's reasonably funny, it lacks the charm, wit and energy of its predecessor. And I don't, I'm sorry to report, lads, but um, Mick LaSalle was not, was not on board with Ghostbusters 2. Oh, I couldn't no. find his review. Oh no, I don't know what this. Oh no. oh no, be gentle, Mick. I don't think Mick gives stars. I think he just writes reviews. But um, Metacritic have deemed it a, a one star out of five. <laughs> and Mick said the best thing about this movie is Peter McNichols' character, <laughs> where he plays a slippery man with an incomprehensible accent. And he said that was the only good thing about this film. Um, I couldn't find the whole review. I could only find that tidbit from Metacritic. I couldn't get onto the actual whole review from Mick, but um, yeah, he was it, with it being a film from '89. It's quite hard to get reviews of the time. It's it's a lot of it is kind of like retrospective reviews. The other reviews I did find, to be honest, it's not really bad reviews per se. It's just a whole bunch of two, three star reviews that really drive down that sort of aggregate score. And we all know Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic, they're aggregate scores. It's not a be-all yeah. and end-all, this is what the film is. It's, it's just, just the general aggregate. consensus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that they all kind of share the same view that it's a bit underwhelming, not as good as the original. For instance, Jonathan Rosenbaum in the Chicago Reader said, there's very little energy in the follow-through, and this time Bill Murray's listlessness seems more anemic than comic. 
Disagree with that, Jonathan, but we'll get into that. Um, Audience-wise, it fares a wee bit better, as you'd expect, but it's still only 61% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's a more solid 7.2 on Metacritic and a 3.1 on Letterboxd, which is a tiny bit higher than what we sort of usually do on, on here. There is one Letterboxd review I have taken umbrage with, though. <laughs> this is from Evan Popplestone, who gave it two stars, and said, As with the original, the release of Ghostbusters 2 came packaged with a hit pop song. This time Bobby Brown's On Our Own. While passable, it isn't half as memorable as Ray Parker Jr.'s perennial school disco favourite. In other words, it is representative of this sequel as a whole. Total bullshit. Total <laughs> bullshit. Because on our own is a new Jack Swing delight of the late 80s and early 90s. <laughs> I mean, it's just a tune with a capital T. It's it is incredible. such a tune. Like, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I sang Ghostbusters as a kid, blah, blah, blah. I hate that song as an adult. I fucking hate it. It's really... Yeah. It's all, as I said, the, the the perennial school disco favourite. It's always on at school. Always on at weddings. Mm. You know, I know it's a rubbish pop song. Enough yeah. of that. If it's a school disco favourite, then it's definitely rubbish. Yeah. Right? Because everything that gets played <laughs> at a school disco is rubbish. Build me up buttercup. Yeah, yeah exactly. When you when you do Get friggin' oops upside your head and you have to sit on the floor and do oh. a stupid dance. <laughs> Saturday night. I'm just shouting out songs now. <laughs> Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> <laughs> A pop and I oak, pop and I oak. The sequel to their big hit was exactly the fucking same. So yeah, you won't find us defending Bobby Brown on much, but on that particular song, yes, that yeah, is a good song. True. Credit where it's due. Yes, one hundred percent. Well, at least we know where we stand now, everybody. Thank you very much for that. Very much on the side of Bobby Brown, I think you'll yes. find. Yeah. I, got, I got quite passionate then. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, lovely. Well, let's let's go into the movie itself. Um, this Can I tell you just very briefly about um, the opening of this? Yeah. When this was first announced that it was uh, in, I think it was 1990, it was going to be premiered on Sky Cinema or what it was Sky Movies back Sky then. Movies yeah yeah and um and it was when there was like one Sky Movies channel yeah Saturday night premieres yeah um and we were having tea at my grandma's house with uh, my cousins and um they grandma and granddad didn't have Sky but um, my cousins did and they were like right we've got to, we, we're going to run down the road run because they only live around the corner we're going to run home to press record on the VCR to tape Ghostbusters um, and I said, oh, can I come with you just just for the walk? Thinking, if I play my cards right, I might be able to watch five minutes of the Ghostbusters movie here. <laughs> so I ran, you know, like with them, I ran down like, ah, oh, what a lovely evening for a stroll. Yeah. Weird <laughs> seven-year-old behaviour, this. <laughs> <laughs> and... Lovely shoveled face, seven-year-old <laughs> skipping down the street. <laughs> Enjoying the air, you know. Uh, and we got to the house and they turned it on, you know, like, and... We watched that, you know, like I was just pretending that I wasn't interested, but I was really flipping interested. And on the screen, you know, and it goes five years later and there's the big boom. Oh, yeah, it's so dramatic. And then I saw the, you know, um, my cousin was like, we'll just play it out for a second, make sure it is is right. Because it wasn't like you had at the bottom of the screen, it said... Uh, like it does now on TV, oh, yeah, you always go and read out what the channel is. Yeah. yeah. So he said, "We'll just wait for a second. And I'm like, "We can wait as long as you need. No rush." Um, and um, wait for two then, hours if you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
we we can wait 108 minutes exactly if that will really help. Um, and um, this opening shot of the ground, you know, the the pavement and the ooze coming up, the slime yeah. coming up through the cracks, and then the tire going through it. And he went, oh yeah, this is right, and turned it off. And I was like, no, no, <laughs> so desperate to carry on watching. And um, it stuck with me forever just seeing that. So like this is seeing that opening shot is like so tanged with the illicit for me <laughs> somehow. And then did the uh, wife come in and then just turn it off at that point? Say, did you know enough, Robert? Yeah, and then had to wait probably nearly a decade before I could actually see it again. So um, I love this opening. It's love really it. good. Yeah. 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 Not as scary as the first one, though, is it? This oh, No, not quite as creepy. Although I th- I've got a newfound appreciation for it as a parent now, because as a parent, you're, one of your biggest fears is always losing control of the pram. <laughs> in a busy street it's just always just like just hold on to the pram don't let the pram get hit by a car or anything like that so this really plays on parental fears oh it's horrible and, but it really plays into the um, um, it does a lot in a very short space of time it shows that New York is in the midst of a bit of a funk. People are hating on each other. Yeah. You know, everyone's arguing along the street as Dana's going along with little Oscar in his buggy. And um, it's horrible. Everyone's being nasty to each other. Yeah, it's very New York at this because everyone's just, hey, I'm walking here. With <laughs> yeah. all that, like, shtick, the New York shtick. You know, that horrible guy who gets upset because she has to hold a bag for her. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. hey, what's this? Why? Why? You know, like, just hold me bag with you for a second. I've got a baby here. <laughs> what's wrong with you? I think the film is trying to set up that it is that New York is a bubbling underbelly of negativity due to the slime. The slime that's causing that's the meme. Yeah. But I just thought this was just New York. This is just what they're like, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> Oh, cripes, I'm never going there. (laughs) This place is ghastly. (laughs) Very impolite. Yeah, and a bit of ooze. Uh, I've got. Sorry, I keep blending it with secret. Secret of the ooze here. Sorry, this is very much slime. Ooze is very very much the turtles' universe. Yeah, so the slime (laughs) is going, and and same city, different consistency. Yes, yes. Got a major problem with sort of viscous fluids. A, a lot happens in New York, doesn't it? Like, it really uh, does. It really does. And a lot happens to Dana Barrett. She cannot catch a break at all. She's no, the most haunted it. woman in New York. Well, like, right. So we, we learn very quickly here that she's got a baby. And it yeah. ain't with Peter Venkman, who she was with at the end of the last movie. No, it was some absolute chump from an orchestra who, right, Oscar is eight months old. Yeah. He, he binned her off either mid-pregnancy or when the kid was very young. What an absolute scumbag. Do you reckon it's definitely the nasal spray guy from the first movie that Murray takes the mickey out of? <gasps> oh, I forgot about him. Oh, it totally Who's the stiff, it? as Murray calls him. <laughs> yes. It's got to be, hasn't it? It could well be, yeah. Uh, the kid's oh, got a little bit of look of him. He's a bit pale. Excellent movie baby, by the way. Oh, very good movie baby. Yeah. Very cute, isn't he, the baby? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Gorgeous onesies as well. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Very, you know, made entirely of fluff at one stage. Like, look, absolutely <laughs> sweltering. <laughs> I, don't think, I tell you what, when this pram is rattling down the street, they're doing it. They're doing something to that prom because he looks absolutely terrified. <laughs> he looks terrified quite a bit in this film. They put him, put the pocket through the ringer. Um, oh yeah, and I'm enjoying it all. And um, she goes to, you know, she goes to try and catch up with 
old chums, doesn't she? The Ghostbusters to tell yeah. them, you know, what happened because they were so good at helping out the first time that. Um, but it's revealed that she doesn't want Peter involved. No, no. Yeah. I mean, and we've seen that the the Ghostbusters have sort of gone their separate ways, and New York has turned their back on the mm. Ghostbusters. Ray and Winston have got the most oh. demeaning existence imaginable, <laughs> <laughs> performing at kids' parties, and then you've got the director of Ghostbusters Afterlife coming up and giving them, <laughs> yeah, yes, giving yeah. them grief. <laughs> I did, I did too. When it happened, I was like, "Is that Jason Reitman who says yeah. my my dad says you're full of shit?" <laughs> yeah, it's a disgrace. That it's awful. And um, then on top of it, they want He-Man at the party and not the oh, Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah, but they're like He-Man. they're like dancing to the song. <laughs> yeah. they've, 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 they've rocked up in outfits and Ecto-1's outside. What's the matter with you children? <laughs> this is the greatest day of your lives. No, it's just everyone's just like, oh, sod it. Yeah, yeah, that happened. Yeah, you saved us all, but what have you done for us recently? And yeah, poor Ghostbusters got absolutely stiffed by the city of New York. They really did. Yeah, it turns out they were lawsuited to pieces. Um, all you know because they summoned up a hundred foot marshmallow man. <laughs> they, yeah. they got sued to bits. Um, what happened here at the party, right? So they they get everyone shouting "He man, He man," and they say, "Let's go get a beer." And then it cuts to them leaving the house, presumably later, counting money. Like, what did they get paid for just hanging out in the kitchen, drinking the, <laughs> drinking whatever was in the fridge? <laughs> I think they made a scene and the mother of the child whose birthday it was asked them to leave and paid them to leave. <laughs> I think Ray had a bit of a meltdown in the kitchen. <laughs> the lost tapes. Release the stance cut. Mm. <laughs> It does seem very hacked to pieces, this film, though. Like, mm, there's mm. there's that bit where it was very abrupt. And there's even, when they're out in the car talking, uh, Winston and Ray are talking by the car, and it's the same angle, and it suddenly just cuts, cuts the yeah. conversation. And it's like a weird jump, and it's like, what what's happened? Like, And this happens quite a bit throughout the film, where there's a lot of hacking, throughout, which obviously we don't, you don't notice as kids. You don't give a fuck. But I was like... Watching it, I was like, oh, this is interesting. So I'm going to keep my eye out for that for the rest of the film. It's a bit weird. It's a bit hack and slashy. There's there's things that are, like you say, James, there's something what we were missing at that party which should have been there. Just mm-hmm. randomly cuts to them suddenly coming out. That bit of the conversation. There's bits later on where it's just like, clearly chunks missing in the film. Anyway, mm. that's neither here or there because I still fucking love it. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> get this out of the way. My main sort of issue with this film is why... Everyone in New York saw how mental it was from the first one. They saw a big marshmallow man down the streets, yet you'll still get this gobshite little kid going, oh, my dad says you're full of shit. He's like, you saw the city was crumbled by this massive (laughs) ghost thing five years ago, and you forgot about about it. And it, it just, to me, it just makes no sense. It makes sense that they've broken up and they've like, they're now doing their own thing, but it yeah. makes no sense why the people of New York now hate them and they're unappreciated by them. It just doesn't make sense to me. It's like the COVID situation. They're ghost deniers. They can't see what's right in front of their faces. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> like, very true, actually. Is, yeah, they're like... <laughs> very um, true. Yeah, they're like conspiracy nuts. You know, my dad's a conspiracy nut and he says you're full of it. You know, it is. It's like that. Like, Even though he directed the happened. first movies, yeah, you're still full yeah. of shit. <laughs> Yeah. Just 
expecting this one as well, but it doesn't believe in it. The fact that they were sued because they summoned up a hundred foot marshmallow monster. Like, isn't it in the like the court documents? The reason is we summoned up a marshmallow monster. <laughs> like, you're not full of rubbish. It did happen. It did. You know, they're in the papers. It's in the paperwork. It happened. Oh, mm. uh, dear. I, but still, I do I do love it. I do love yeah, the okay, yeah, I, I, do, I do love the fact that no one likes them because it gives them a chance for redemption. I really like it. Does, it does, yeah. Um, and um, we get reintroduced to Venkman. Yeah. And Venkman is now some sort of like a fraudulent TV psychic. Psychic Jeremy has... Kyle is what I wrote down. Yes! <laughs> who has a, a pretty shocking show that lasts three minutes. Like, it's a tight <laughs> it's really, three really minutes short show. show yeah. Yeah. But he's so good at it. What a lovely suit he's wearing in this scene. Murray's delivery is so good. He's one of those comedy actors that could read the phone book and you'd be massively entertained by it. And yeah. You just... You know, as much as he's accused of phoning it in or, you know, not making an effort, he's still funny, even if he is doing that. Every line of dialogue he puts in this film, I am laughing at it. And he's yeah, just yeah. so good. He's just really good. And the best bit about this psychic shtick and this psychic show he's got is it gives him an excuse to break the fourth wall because he keeps looking at the camera it's while he's facing it, That's talking. superb. That is and he's superb. just... It's like proper like judgmental face, just like glancing yeah. at us while well, well, <laughs> listening to these absolute nut jobs tell their stuff. <laughs> and one of them gets it right. Yes, he does. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't he? he says oh, at the yes. end. Of the, yeah, yeah. I never thought be, about that. Yeah, for New Year's Eve. Yeah. Wow. That the end of the world will come. No way. Because I thought they're both absolutely the two nutters are brilliantly played. <laughs> yes. Absolutely brilliantly played. And then, um, so Peter then goes to catch up with the rest of the Ghostbusters because he's ordered a book. Uh, he wants to know, you know, who it is they're working with, and they, you know, fess up. It's Dana Barrett, and they all, you know, they're going to go and catch up with Dana and all this kind of stuff. And they're establishing—I can't remember how they do this now—that something is brewing under the streets. Yes, they do. Yeah. Um, oh, that's it. They go to Dana's place, house, don't they? And they follow the readings off one of their instruments that goes down out into the street. Again, yes. Murray is brilliant stopping traffic here. Just you know, he's doing a lot of that yeah. walking here thing. And... According to Dan Aykroyd, he does that in real life. <laughs> He'd just walk out into into, into traffic <laughs> and just stop cars and things like that. <laughs> And, and for me, this is just that they're, they're, this is them getting, you know, the team is coming back together. Yeah, it's getting um, the band back together, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is, yeah. I, I really I'm... like Egon in this film as yes, well. He's a lot, yeah. because I watched both films back to back on Friday night in preparation for this. And mm. uh, oh, it's a cracking way to spend an evening if you're a mm. Ghostbusters fan, by the way. And uh, in the first film, he's very socially awkward and he's almost a little bit of a caricature of what a brainy person was like in this one he's a bit more knowing he's a bit more human he has some really good lines throughout like when they're in in oscar's bedroom where he goes uh he didn't have toys as a child because his parents didn't believe in joy (laughs) (laughs) and then ray asked him if he had a slinky he said we had part of a slinky i strained it like he just had a little good throwaway lines. Harold Bramis <laughs> is one of the screenwriters on this, so I, I just assume he decided to give himself some good lines this time around. He is zinging in this. You know, he's he's got a bit of attitude in yes. this one as well, which I really, really like. Um, but it's like, these are movie stars being movie stars for me. Like, yeah. in their, arguably, up there with their very best roles. Uh, I'm just watching them, and the chemistry between them is brilliant. The only bit I'm not so happy about in this part of the movie is 
we lose track of um, Ernie Hudson. Oh, that you happens know, all the time throughout both yeah, of these all movies. All the time in Ghostbusters, yeah. What's, he's what's just he so doing? in and out, isn't he? Like, where's he gone? What life? What other life's he leading? He's probably got another job because the, the kids' parties aren't covering the, covering <laughs> yes. the rent. Because he's not—he's not a scientist, is he? He's just no. sort of like that, like an extra pair of hands, isn't he? So he, yeah, it's why he's not involved. In, I mean, it, it does suck. But I, Winston was always—you know—when I was a kid, he was always one of the four, you know, on a level pegging. But then when you're an adult watching it, you're like, he's not in these movies that much. No. Is he? Poor old, no. poor old. He, he does deliver one of the best deliveries of a swear word in the first movie I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> oh shit. Trying to explain that to the kids because it's so crystal clear is uh, something else. But the, yeah, then they they so they go they start digging under the street and so much more banter. The co- New York cops come out and go, "What's going on here?" And Egon is spectacular in this bit. You know, <laughs> he's so good in this, not knowing what to do when he's being confronted, and then at the end, yo. <laughs> Absolutely superb. But the I think they, they go, you know, down underneath and the slime set is so good. Yeah. It's so, so good. I I love this bit of the movie. That idea of something like a snake winding its way underneath without anyone knowing with just emanating bad vibes. It's really cool. I've got to say, effects in this movie totally hold up. Really, 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 really good. good. Oh yeah. yeah. Really, yeah, really good. Definitely. Good mix of practical and and early days CGI as well. Not overused. Within physical environments, it just works really, really well. And I watched this in Ultra HD as well. Oh, yeah, I couldn't so find my I, DVD, yeah. and I rented it in Ultra HD, and it looked absolutely stunning. <laughs> yeah, oh. I was I was kind of blown away by how it looked actually, like surprisingly so as well. But it is that this era, like late eighties, early nineties, where VFX are they're still practical. They're just filmed somewhere else, and they're overlaid onto the imagery, and you know treated different ways to give him like like glows and stuff like that like it's not like way we do it now where it's computer imagery then sort of integrated into the scene it's very much still quite practical like they would have stop motion those ghosts yeah i I did it a, a, a long time ago for a video and it was um what they did on indiana jones you know for the ghosts when all the ark of ark of the covenant when they opened it and all the ghosts were around and the way they did that was they put tissue paper at the end of a coat hanger and submerge it into a tank of water and just like move it around. And then they take that footage and then just overlay it on the film. And that's what those ghosts were. So it's not that's like incredible. CGI. It's still like a practical yeah. visual effect. But it's And I think this is just, this is that same era where it's that sort of stuff where it's not computers doing the work. It's just different ways to layer and, and ingenious ways actually to sort of film these things and film them practically and put them on top of the film and make it work and it's it's just insane how good it is i mean obviously computers are involved in some degree but yeah you know not to the extent it is now where it's like modeled and modeled on computers and, and put in that way so and it just really holds up it looks amazing the effects yeah it, it, even down to the way that the um the slime itself bubbles it's, it's it looks so real and you know it is real you know it is bubbling slime but it's probably a really simple thing that they do but it's just it sells it keeps selling that this movie it keeps selling that this mm. situation um and and those minging things that come out of the the slime river to grab 
people, you know, Ooh, like, God, yeah, like horrid tentacly yeah. things. Like, yeah. Oh, like, absolutely rancid. Um, it's also around this stage that we meet lovely Janosch. Oh, Janosch. Janosch Pohar, uh, played by Peter McNichol. Absolutely swinging for the fences with this performance. It's brilliant. Um, uh, it's absolutely brilliant. I think because, where's he from as well? Because I think... We're safe in doing some impressions here, I think. <laughs> I think he's generally sort of Central European. I don't think they ever say in the film. I think the idea is is that the villain of the film is Vigo the Carpathian, and yes. that there's potentially a country called Carpathia or something like that, and that is essentially where Janos is supposed to be from. Anyway, Peter McNichol just made it all up on the set. <laughs> because none of that's in the script at all, like yeah, the accent absolutely. or anything. <laughs> he was supposed to be called Jason and just be this little like classic sleazy shitbag, but he turned him <laughs> into this creepy Eastern European. Yeah, this guy. Yeah, but it works though, doesn't it? Like he totally you know, he's... works, and it brings so much comedy to it because you know the, he's the lines funny. are brilliant. He's so um, you know when he's walking through the um, the art exhibit and he's pointing like everything you're doing is bad. It is Vigo. Yeah, he's he's just chucking himself at it, and um, his relentless pursuit of Dana is is at the same times heartbreaking and demeaning and creepy. And oh yeah, absolutely. He takes over the pest role from Bill Murray in the first film. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, then the uh, the lights all in New York City go out and Janosch appears at Dana's apartment to see if everything's all right. And because um, he, he's been told by this point by the the, the painting, he's, so the painting of Vigo the Carpathian, which is so iconic, that painting. Yeah, it's amazing. I would have it on my office wall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can, can you guys help me clear up something with this? Is the painting haunted because of the slime or does the slime... Does the painting bring the slime to New York, or is it coincidental? Is it two so, things? So Carpathia, Vigo was like a was like a genocidal maniac, wasn't he? Uh, meddled in black magic, I assume, back in the day before he was murdered. And the idea is that he, before he died, he he cast a spell which would bring him back. And I assume it's his presence that is bringing the slime, the negativity slime to the. It's all leading to the museum, isn't yeah, it? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's the epicenter of all the negativity in New York City. And it's all been derived from this being within this painting. Yeah. Which I, is yeah, scary as shit. Oh, yeah. he was, you revealed that he was, he was not just executed, but he was, Poisoned, drowned, hung, drawn, and quartered. <laughs> he was disemboweled and all sorts. Um, he had quite a, a finale. He was um, not a popular chap at the end. No. <laughs> uh, and all that hatred seems to have been embodied in this painting. Um, yeah, because the it, the pink slime is in the when they analyse the photos of the painting later on. You see that there's a river of slime running uh, in the background. Oh of yes, the of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, and it, it it doesn't all make hundred percent sense, but I'm I'm willing to go with it. It's absolutely oh, fine. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the um, he's like a big sort of uh, stereotypical European himbo, isn't he? But he's voiced by Max von Sydow, which I did not know that until I watched this movie this time around. <laughs> I must have seen this film over twenty times. Well, yeah, I I never noticed that. I, I on the rewatch, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's a really bad dub, isn't it?" Like, uh, <laughs> it's like really, really bad dub, and was quite amused by it. 
And then I read that it was Max von Sydow and uh, the original actor was absolutely fuming when he found out it was really So harrowing. But he leaves such an impression, you know, despite him being still for most of the movie, you know, i.e. Yes. just being a painting for most of the movie. Well, he's got a look, hasn't he? Like, it's he a really, really has, intimidating, yeah. scary, yeah. imposing figure, isn't he? So big, and the painting's so big as well. Yeah. And he tells, he tells um, Janos that he's got to go and get him a baby. So that he can come back, you know, he can be re reborn, so to speak. Yeah. And who's got a baby? Bingo. <laughs> he knows just the person, so he, that's why he goes there at night with the when all the lights go out, and he he wants to know when he answers the door, he wants to know if the baby's there. He says, "How is the baby?" Woo! <laughs> Comfortably. I'm dying. I am absolutely dying. You know. And then she says, "Oh, he's asleep." Like, oh, he's sleeping, and I woo. <laughs> I just think it's so good. And, you know, Sigourney Weaver doesn't have a lot to do in these films. Uh, but what she does, she does very well. It's a little bit yes. of a thankless role. Uh, it's amazing that they even got her after Alien and after yeah. Aliens. Mm. Like, because she's probably like one of the most recognisable actresses in the world at, at the time. Yeah. And um, and she she she's a good sport. But, yeah, it's a bit, she, she's sort of above the material. But at this moment, she looks like she wants to murder Janos when, he, uh, when yes. he's about to wake the baby up and then oh so this is the first part in the cinema where I absolutely lost it um got very scared you know so when Janos uh, when she closes the door on Janos and it's during a blackout and his eyes beam and yep. then the, mu- the music That's one of mine. yeah yeah like, oh I need new underpants <laughs> <laughs> yep Gross, what, absolutely what foul. I, yeah, horrendous. Um, and funnily enough, they didn't do, have that moment in my kid's picture book. So, <laughs> no. Not permitted. Um, and uh, because they've caused this major problem... Um, they're back in court. To, they're back, I mean, they're called into one of the great ever court scenes in cinema, basically. Yes. It's got everything. It's, it's up there with a few good men, isn't it, really? <laughs> <laughs> in fairness, it surpasses that because there's no ghosts in a few good men. <laughs> Definitely isn't, and the courtroom doesn't get blown to bits. So this has got this has literally got everything. Again, Lewis Tully's back, uh, played by Rick Moranis, and he is superb, isn't he? And um, it's funny. I watched a bit of Liar Liar the other night, some of the court scenes in that, and it made me think of that. You know, like just slight, very slight similarities. Judges, the judges off the scale here, just furious. Uh, Harris Eulin, definitely a Republican. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And yeah, he's he's desperate to chuck the Ghostbusters in jail. Um, but because he's berating them so much, the the slime kicks off and brings back two of his most famous what do they call it? People he sentenced. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Those, but, um, yeah, he gave them the chair. I yeah. gave him the chair. The Scully brothers. Oh, gave him the chair. And it brilliant, all good. And Tully brilliantly cuts a deal and says... He doesn't really. Venkman does no, it. Venkman does, yeah. <laughs> He's the worst lawyer in the world. He really is. He's like, he, did get, he did get his law degree from night school. Let's just make that clear. <laughs> and he does mostly tax law, which is brilliant. Like, there's so many good lines in this. Like really uh, He does his opening statement and Egon goes, Sassy Egon. A bit more of Sassy Egon in the courtroom. Is, uh, <laughs> yeah. He says to him, oh, thanks for that, Lewis. That was short and pointless. <laughs> <laughs> and then when the Scolari brothers start 
decimating the courtroom and coming after the judge. They're all cowering under a table, and Egon sasses the judge at that point. He's like, it's like, oh, you gotta do something. He's like, well, why don't you just tell him you don't believe in ghosts? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Outstanding. Again, the judge should know. He's got papers there that say that a, a marshmallow man terrorised the city. You know, he says this is another court hearing for you guys. You know, I'm sick of this. Like, just look at the case history. It says it there. The the main charge is being frauds. Um, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean frauds about? Uh, well, ghost think, is right this in there? this instance pretending to be um, construction workers? <laughs> you know, I don't know, but it's brilliant. And the 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 great scene of them suiting up again, but in yeah. suits. You know, they're getting the tools back on. The the lovely horn. Oh yeah, the score's so good in this particular scene. It's yeah. absolutely triumphant stuff. Beyond days. I am missing Ernie Hudson though. Yeah. feeling his absence here because there are four and I want the four to be together. Well, I'm glad he wasn't embroiled in the in the claims of fraud and he wasn't sent down as well. Um, I think you know he, he's just watching from a distance, going, "That's you guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> stay over. Yeah. Stay. I'm just gonna look, hold the fort while you get tried yeah. for." <laughs> and then as soon as they get cleared, like he's on the phone, like, "Lads, the job is it still? <laughs> We're still on? Still on?" <laughs> um. But yeah, they zap them all up, and then there's it's such a triumph. Great effects in this courtroom. Yeah, they you know they're out and they're holding a ghost in a trap, and they're back. Yeah, and then a, a montage, uh, another lovely montage ensues. A bit more family friendly than the montage in the first movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> including including gorgeous new navy blue suits as well. Oh yeah, uh, love them. Yeah. Are we going with navy blue? Parents. I thought they were charcoal. Oh, more charcoal. Well, I think <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I wanted they, one. Either way, I'd prefer this yeah. tone of Ghostbuster overall. To be perfectly honest, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely more badass than the than the khaki uh, version. Yeah. <laughs> what, yeah. I'd, I'd rock up at the Met Gala in one of those bad boys. <laughs> <laughs> topical, nice. yeah. very topical. Don't even know what the Met Gala is. What is that? It seems to be a, an event where um, a load of celebrities get together and just dress like morons and get their pictures <laughs> taken. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a the 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 Metropolitan Gallery in New York. It's like a they have a theme, and then they all rock up in crazy outfits, you know, Ooh. doing this theme. But um, for a long time, I thought it was a charity do for the Metropolitan Police. <laughs> I was always really confused why they were, these really famous people would rock up supporting the Metropolitan Police. Why is Tina Turner in this NYPD fundraiser? <laughs> Not even that, the London Police. Oh, the London Police, yes, of course, the London Police. Like, why, why is Rihanna supporting the, the, the Metropolitan Police? <laughs> the tireless work of the UK cops. Yeah. Timothy Chalapay and lovely jodpers in support of the Met Police. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely absurd. Um, but no, yes, I, then I actually read into it and was like, no, yeah, it's not that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, in the world of Ghostbusters 2, we, um, they're back and we sort of quickly barrel forward, don't we? There's a bit of an investigation into what the slime could be. Yeah. Um, by this point, Dana is uh, hanging out with uh, Pete. Peter? Yes, Peter. I always wanted to just call him Venkman. Um, yeah. But yeah, hanging out with Peter at his place. Well, after another scene that absolutely terrified the life out of me, in the in the cinema, so oh, she's yeah, giving that's my two as well. Yeah. She's giving uh, <laughs> Oscar a bath. Is Dana, and uh, for some reason, uh, the slime knows where Dana lives now, having terrorised her on the street with the um, with the pram. She it knows its way into her pipes, and basically all the 
pink ooze ooze I'm doing it now pink slime <laughs> goes into the into the bathtub and the bathtub morphs into a bathtub monster and tries to grab her and Oscar so they run <laughs> to the the safest place in the city Peter Venkman's apartment which is <laughs> massive absolute hole absolutely massive must be so expensive yeah. not well cared for at all <laughs> And when she arrived, he's face down on the couch, isn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fully clothed, still in a coat. <laughs> and, yeah, away we go. Uh, at least we know Dana is safe, but they're going for it now. Or oh, is she safe? Woof. Yeah. Because um, Vigo is not happy. But but he so he gets uh, Janosch and gives him sort of powers, I guess. <laughs> I don't really know. Um, and, you know, powers of... I mean, this, yeah, it, it's this is this is surely number three on your list. When, when, so <laughs> to set the scene, <laughs> Lewis Tully. And, oh, but we're missing um, the bit in the in the in the subway tunnel where they go down there. Because the, the, the chronology, oh, I get mixed up. To, to be perfectly honest, you for the last half an hour, of this is absolutely fucking terrifying. If you <laughs> for, yeah, for, yeah. for a small child, and uh, yeah, it's quite traumatic. But yeah, it's sort of intercut, isn't it? So, Murray, um, Venkman and Dana go out on a date. The other guys go down into the sewers to investigate the slime, which they've also found out that they can make the slime dance to positive music as well, so it can be used for good. That'll be important later on in the movie. And they go down there to investigate the slime and, um, and yeah, just a cavalcade of terrifying scenes follow one another. <laughs> so, yeah, it, yeah, definitely the subway section comes first because then they burst into the into the restaurant, don't they? And they get arrested again. And then of it's course, when Dana yeah. goes back to the of apartment course. that the really scary moment happens. You're saying that that's scarier than the heads on spikes in the subway? Yes. This, that, I mean, that that is... Not PG. No, it's not. No, and apparently it was a reshoot as well. So uh, I read somewhere that Reitman felt that he was getting too preoccupied with the romance subplot between Venkman and Dana Barrett, and he'd forgotten to put some scares in. So he puts the most (laughs) terrifying thing he can think of. So the guys (laughs) investigating this abandoned subway, and uh, Ernie Hudson's already scared because Ray is telling him about subway rats that are the size of cars or. Yeah. Scratching around, and then beavers. They get... The beavers from Lake Placid, <laughs> and then all of a sudden they're surrounded by seven heads from nowhere on spikes, which is absolutely terrifying. Then poor old Ernie Hudson gets hit by a ghost oh. train. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, poor Winston. And brilliant, absolutely terrified and screaming. Incredible performance at this moment. His hair goes yeah. up, standing up on end. His eyes are so wide. It's just brilliantly performed. It's so good. Egon asked him if he got the ghost train number because it's a famous train that went missing <laughs> and everyone on board was killed. <laughs> I miss. I love this movie. It's amazing. Yeah, it's so good. Then the guys fall into the river of slime, don't they? And they're oh, ready yeah. to kill each other when they come out the sewers and then they realise that if they take this stuff off, it's the slime that's making them turn on one another, and lo and behold, they're outside the evil museum. Yeah, mm. that's it. And then they're in lovely undergarments as they try and track yeah. down Long Johns. Long Johns. <laughs> long Johns. That's it. Yeah, gorgeous. They're all in matching, like lovely Long Johns. You know, can you imagine when they're tooling up, like you know, thanks for joining the Ghostbusters. Thanks for coming. Here's your boiler suit. Here are your Ghostbusters branded Long Johns. <laughs> <laughs> must be worn underneath at all times. They have got uh, merch coming out of the wazoo, to be fair. They for, do, yeah. For what is essentially a pest control company. Yeah. 
hot beverage thermal mug and balloons for the kids. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I loved that. <laughs> the adverts are a highlight, and they've been a highlight right the way through the series. I absolutely love them. Um, it's uh, they go to the um, restaurant to get Peter. They ruin the date essentially. Yeah. Ray starts flinging pink jism <laughs> across the diners. <laughs> <laughs> Some woman gets it all over like <laughs> fabulous stuff. Uh, and um they but they get they get um they go down to City Hall to see the mayor. Yeah. Um and uh, end up being, you know, that cheeky, cheeky sidekick of the mayor. Hardemeyer. The yeah. uh, Kurt Fuller, classic eighties shitbag. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another bureaucrat bureaucratic shit weasel who's got it in for the Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> no, gets them section for being a bit mental, even though there's evident proof everywhere that oh, there's, they've they've got the slime. They have there are ghosts everywhere, but no, yeah. they're still being sectioned as being yeah. insane. <laughs> has New York gone through some sort of event which has led to collective amnesia for every citizen <laughs> of the city? <laughs> you'd be forgiven, honestly. You'd be forgiven for thinking, um, and. Uh, they, that psychiatrist is Bill Murray's brother. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Incredible. Oh, great. I'm pretty sure that's right. Let me just check that. Because so, no, he looks you, you so much right, like yeah. him. You are right, yeah, yeah. Is it? Yeah, thank God for that. Yeah, Brian Doyle Murray. <laughs> um, and uh, it's a question of um, how do they get out now? I can't remember what they do. Well, well, the, well the, everything the goes, city goes up, to doesn't shit, it? doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Within about twenty minutes of oh, them that's right, and there's ghosts everywhere. Yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah. There's another montage. So we had the montage before of them catching ghosts, and now there's a montage of the, the ghosts just running amok. And you've got the, the what the Titanic floats into the dock, and Cheech yeah. Marin's there. Like, <laughs> what's going on? Why Cheech Marin's there? I don't know. And then um, some bougie woman's fur coat comes alive. Love that. Absolutely um, love that. I do love that. It's really good. I love the fact you call her bougie. <laughs> <laughs> the mayor hasn't approved putting them section in the busy, so so he's like, "Where are the Ghostbusters? Why is it all going yeah, to yeah. shit?" And then uh, Kurt Fuller's just like, "Oh well, I had them sectioned." <laughs> <laughs> you shitbag. <laughs> he gets fired, uh, and then obviously Dana's had to go to the museum because the scariest moment in the film has occurred. Um, oh, yeah. Can someone please yeah. else talk about this? It still traumatizes me. It's the scariest and also the funniest moment in the film. Yeah. <laughs> because... Now they included a picture of this, a still of this moment. You know, when the hand is really long grabbing Oscar from the ledge in this picture book. And I'm, I didn't know it was Peter McNichol because they didn't show enough of the face. So it was only when I watched it years later, like, is that. Is that. You know, <laughs> so funny. I mean, it doesn't even make sense. How has it happened? Like, Peter McNichol isn't a ghost. He's a living person. (laughs) Why is he flying? Why is he dressed dressed like like a nanny? A (laughs) Victorian nanny? (laughs) (laughs) And how is an eight-month-old baby standing? Oh, I know. Uh, Absurd. Uh, to be fair, really... he was in a stance that looked like he was curling one out. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> much like five-year-old me in the Tatton cinema. <laughs> well, that's what, he probably saw the nanny approaching, and was like, <laughs> but it, I mean, none of it. It's great, and this is why Lewis and uh, Janine 
uh, played by Annie Potts, are forever making. Yeah. Um, and, um, well, Lewis is discovering all new things, it seems. Um, and um, their chemistry is absolutely brilliant in this. As yeah, well. it's I, great. I uh, the most out-of-focus sexual encounter for the... Uh, for the participants, because they're both ridiculously <laughs> short-sighted. <laughs> James, did you you watch the first one recently? It yeah. isn't. Doesn't Janine have a thing with Egon in the first one? So why? Where's the? Re- She's down either way with any of the Ghostbusters. <laughs> 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 yes, there is a moment where she. Uh... <laughs> Where he emerges from under a desk from in between her legs. So there is a suggestion that right. she's she's hot for Egon, but he's not interested because he uh he collects funguses in his uh, he just, in his spare time. He, he's married to the science. Yes, <laughs> no, in this one it, it's he slept with the slime. Oh he oh, did. Of course, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, he yeah. Did. That's on so the cutting room floor. That's quite funny. <laughs> that, the scene of him like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Just with the jar over his junk. Uh, what was the plumbing reference you made? Getting drained. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, dear. Oh, um, Egon Schlung dipped in a jar of wine. Guaranteed he's... He's still in his socks as well. Like, he's still got his socks on. And his specs. (laughs) No, Dad, this is a disgrace. Also, Egon Schlong, good band name. (laughs) (laughs) Full gong Egon Schlong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um... Yeah, they work out that good vibes is what's going to save the day here. Yeah. So um, they look for the symbol of the city that has the most good vibes, and that just happens to be the Statue of Liberty. Yeah. Um, and they cover up with cover all with slime. Um, by this point, slime is all over the museum as well. It's like a shielded slime force yeah. field. It looks like place. bubble gum, doesn't it? Over there. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, they walk the Statue of Liberty through. <laughs> I mean, it makes zero it's sense. But it, it definitely makes zero sense. Absolutely zero sense. It's basically, I mean, we had a big thing walking through the streets of New York at the end of the first one, so we should probably do that again in the yeah. second one. But this yeah. time we'll invert it because it's the guys who are doing it. It's the Ghostbusters who are doing it this time. Yeah, and we'll use um, a Nintendo's joystick as the control device for the uh, <laughs> the giant... Um, I mean, yeah. I, I could never really understand the mechanics of this. Found out today in research that it was played by a guy in a suit. Yeah, who was the play, same guy who played one of the Scoleri brothers, um, and, and the, the jogger, guy, the yeah. jogger, yeah. yeah. So um, amazing! Again, great effect. Come on, it's all brilliant. It um, walks all the way through New York. Get behind it! Yeah, yeah, we love this. And New York is learning to love each other again. Um, and then they get to the museum and. <laughs> They're all being like, yeah, everyone be nice to each other, except for you, Statue of Liberty. You've got to smash your way into this museum now. It's like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) smash your way in. And um, they're in, yeah, the Ghostbusters are inside just in time to stop um, Vigo the Carpathian inhabiting young Oscar. Um, And hilarious fights ensue. Uh, Egon is, sorry, (laughs) Vigo is relegated back into the um, painting. 
And um, not before possessing Ray, which was the final time that I lost my shit in the <laughs> I think I audibly shouted, Ray, no! And started crying. <laughs> He's got horns coming out of his head. And it's, also, it's terrifying. It absolutely pretty, terrifying. I mean, that scared me two days ago, and I'm 35 years old. Yeah, yeah it's really unacceptable, that. Um, and then. Um, uh, the chanting from outside is one of the other things that helps, you know. Well, this is the We're only singing. This is another bit where I think there's a massive chunk taken out. James mentioned it before, where the guy on Bill Murray's psychic show, on Venkman's psychic show, says that the world's going to end on New Year's Eve. But there's nothing really to say this is New Year's Eve apart from them all singing Old Lang Syne at the end when it's yeah. all going on. And you're like, well, oh, so it is New Year's Eve. Oh, well, that guy was right at the start. Have I missed like about 20 minutes of this movie where they've outlined that it's Christmas New Year's Eve? Yeah. Did they think, oh, we'll we'll put it, we'll make it a Christmas film? And they're like, oh, no, can't be bothered with that. Can't be <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, were they, in, were they in the psych ward on Christmas Day? I don't know. The time scale of it is all jumbled up. With all these reshoots wedged in as well, watching it in a, with an objective mind and not a nostalgic one, it is very chopped up to bits and yeah, you're like there's loads of bits missing which are yeah. like doesn't really make sense and you know when you read up on it and you the, there are a lot of weird shots in there which have been taken from scenes that have been cut out but mm. these odd shots have been left in and you're like that's a bit weird but i don't i don't care it's, i mean still yeah <laughs> according to murray the script was a lot different and then when he signed on and then when he I don't think he read any of the later drafts until he got to set, and then it was almost a totally different movie from what he thought they were making. He doesn't like this movie, much like the critics. Mm. <laughs> he felt he feels like there's too much, there's to, uh, there's an overabundance of special effects and not enough comedy interaction between the Ghostbusters. Interesting, interesting. Um, well. The Ghostbusters emerge triumphant from yes. this museum. And another, I love those, you know, when everyone celebrates the Ghostbusters. I love that, the, you know, there's it's quite a theme for that running through all the IPs for Ghostbusters, like the ticker tape parade credits of the real Ghostbusters cartoon. Absolutely. You know, they're walking down saying, da 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 Flipping Ghostbusters, yeah! So great. And yeah, I feel great by the end. What about your best bits, fellas? Oh, there's so many. There are there are so many. Yeah. So yeah, I've already said Ultra HD, if you're gonna watch this movie, totally holds up. Absolutely brilliant. Nice. So really, that really was a real nice. treat. The Scolari Brothers sequence is absolutely brilliant. Uh, it's funny, action packed, and genuinely quite spooky when the chairs start flipping in their direction from the back of the court as oh, it yeah. slowly approaches. Uh, I particularly enjoy the Do Ray Egon joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely love Egon in this. In this movie. He's, 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 a, he's like Zynga, Zynga City as he got yeah. in <laughs> And just basically whenever Peter McNichol says anything, I particularly enjoy it in the end when he, why am I dripping with goo? After <laughs> 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 they slimed him. Uh, what about you, Si? Yeah, pretty much the same. I love the Do Ray Egon bit. That was a you know me and my brother used to rehash that as kids all the time. <laughs> whenever whenever we turned anything on, like we turned a switch on us. <laughs> Do Egon. Ray Egon. <laughs> but no, I mean I can't look beyond when Janos rocks up dressed as a Victorian nanny uh, <laughs> with demon eyes, and he steals Oscar the baby with Dalsim arms with his big yeah. stretchy Dalsim arms. 
it's just hilarious. I, it just makes no sense whatsoever, but it's just really funny and scary at the same time, which is quite weird how it's simultaneously <laughs> terrifying yet hilarious. Awesome. Um, for me, I'm going to go for the bougie lady's coat. Because <laughs> yeah, it's got a bit of creature feature about it, and <laughs> and the little things when they wake up, like they they turn and look at the camera, like yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love it, and the way it runs off down the street, <laughs> I just think it's fabulous and a really good effect. Perhaps that coat and Frank Grillo's wig from Cop Shop could get together and <laughs> do like a body cop movie, <laughs> directed by Joe Carnahan. <laughs> We signed the bougie coat from Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> <laughs> I would go, I'll be honest. I would oh, go yeah, on every yeah. day. <laughs> um, super stuff, fellas. Um, so what about uh, FYR, for your reconsideration? James, it was your pick, so you will uh, bring up the rear here today. But Simon, what about you? So we spoke last week quite extensively about nostalgia and its, in, in, and its impact on enjoyment and our opinions of movies from yesteryear i kind of think ghostbusters 2 is a very good example of that objectively it's pretty safe to say it's inferior to the original in pretty much every way as a film as a comedy although i do think this was still very funny but i don't really care about any of that to be honest i still (laughs) love it absolutely love it um you know as Daft as it is, as heavy as that middle act is, and as hacked to pieces the film appears to be, watching it all these years later, it's just really funny. Like there are so many laugh out loud moments, several really scary moments as well for what is essentially a kids' movie. And you've just got Bill Murray who's on top form, and he's really funny, and his his interaction with all every other character and every other actor on screen is brilliant. You can see that in Sigourney Weaver's face whenever she shares a screen with him. She's just beaming. And yeah, everything else around it. The VFX looks brilliant. It, and I watched it on UHD as well, much like James, and it just blew me away how good it looked. It looked, it was crisp and it was just, it was seamless. All the effects were seamless. You know, there's that bit where the, the uh, prosecution lawyer gets dragged out of the um, chambers by the ghosts and she's just dangling. And it's just perfect. It just It's brilliant. Um, so yeah, can I, I just, I just add absolutely. there? Sorry, Simon, that this film was shot by uh, Michael Chapman, who's the twice Oscar-nominated cinematographer for *Raging Bull* and *The Fugitive*. So, wow. well, there you go. That's why it looks so good. There you have it. And then top it all off with a title track from Bobby Brown. That is the absolute business. <laughs> it's just great. I love every single second of it. Awesome. Um, I totally agree. Nostalgia is a very powerful thing, and we talk about it quite regularly. But um, it works for a reason, this sort of stuff. It captures the imagination. So much of nostalgia is about a time and a place where your imagination was well and truly captured. And that isn't like a fluke. You know, there's a reason we love Ghostbusters and that mm. the Ghostbusters IP is so popular. And this is like a set of movie stars being movie stars in their most famous roles. Um looking like they're having a great time. They're enjoying being together again. The chemistry between them is really sparking. And it's the flipping Ghostbusters saving the world again or saving New York again or whatever. And, you know, I don't care. I'm I'm going to have a good time with that regardless. Um, Just again, like, it holds up so well in um, a visual effects way. But um, just right across the visuals, it's all, all perfect. The humour for me is note perfect. I find this easy, this one easier to watch with the kids because there's less 
drainage, James, going on. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I I do, yeah, really, really love it. And it's got loads of iconic scenes for me, you know, that really sit with me and, and stand out. Um, yeah, it's just great. It's just great. Really enjoy it. Don't sweat it. Just enjoy it. It's great. <laughs> no, that's not the most eloquent finish there, but it just really is. Like, what's not to enjoy here? I don't, you know, yes, it it feels like there's a bit going wrong in the middle there. I mean, it does feel like it sags in the middle a little bit for me, but, and it does feel like there's some scenes left and missing and it could do with a bit more jeopardy in places or a little bit of working out what the hell happened at Christmas. <laughs> when I'd like to know a bit more about New York that's gone to hell over Christmas week. You know, I bet that was insane. But, um, so there is something, some something a bit missing there. But who cares? <laughs> go if you've never seen this, go do it immediately, please. Yeah, great. I agree with all of that, guys. So I still, obviously, absolutely dig this movie. I think the critics are well within their rights to claim that this is a bit of a cynical rehashing of the first film. I watched them both back to back, and from a structural standpoint, that is pretty much on the money. Like all of the beats of the first script are inherent in this one, just varied slightly. All of the obstacles are sort of the same. Um, however, there is still so much to love here. The effects hold up brilliantly well. The concept of supernatural pest control is still an inherently engaging one with plenty of mileage, and the film absolutely delivers everything you want from a Ghostbusters adventure. So, namely, thrilling set pieces, laughs, and some genuinely spooky moments. If you grew up with this franchise, throwing on this movie is like hanging out with a group of friends you haven't seen for a while. I would very much recommend that folks give the first two movies a watch before checking out the new instalment that comes out later this year. Mm, I would totally agree. And very much excited for that as well. I think, you know, there'll be a chance that, because I think we'll all be trying to see that in the cinema. And I think we might, you know, it might be worth us doing some sort of special around that. I think so. Yeah, definitely. And also, as well, just. If the movie comes out and it's not good, it has not ruined your childhood yes, right before yeah. everyone gets upset. The first two films still exist. They will always exist. Do not get het up. Don't get wound up if one of the girls gets to do something more than one of the boys gets to do. Right, We can't do that 2016 thing over, <laughs> over and over again. Yeah, sequels can happen. Some of them might be good. Some of them might be bad. Just chill out. The first two films aren't going anywhere. Yeah, it's a movie, folks. It's a movie. Um, super stuff but hopefully I'm really hoping the new one's going to be good yeah can't wait absolutely can't wait well thank you very much fellas absolutely loved that little dig back in time Um, next time we've not even had a remote discussion oh no I've got no idea what's coming next got no idea it's your pick though Si isn't it 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 is I've I've just realised this is why I've been frantically looking to try and pick (laughs) one because we have not chatted about it at all um, I'm actually going to go with this one. I think it qualifies. It might not. I apologise if it actually doesn't, but we're going to do it anyway. Screw you guys. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we mentioned it before. Uh, Frank Grillo, uh, the the Purge Anarchy, the sequel Ooh, to nice. the Purge. I just want to watch it again, to be honest. <laughs> I've never seen it, so very much looking forward to it. Yes, I think it just about qualifies. It does qualify. Um, yeah, we're in. Yeah, so, we're in. Yeah. So tune in next time, folks. For the Purge Anarchy. I mean, um, I, I did what I do, drive angry, but we just had Cage, so we can't do another yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's on ice. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Super stuff. Um, any relation to Lake Placid Anarchy? Uh, coming soon? <laughs> That's oh. currently in production. 
<laughs> the Purge, Port of Call, New Orleans. <laughs> the Purge of Lake Placid. Oh, yes, of here we go. Orleans. Versus Anaconda versus the Frank habit. Predator. <laughs> the worst Predator statistician of them all. <laughs> Fabulous, fellas. Well, um, thanks a lot for listening, everyone. Please tune in next time for... <laughs> I can't even say the name of the movie now for The Purge Anarchy. Um, and yeah, hit us up on the Twitters. Give us five stars if you're feeling generous. And we will see you next time. Thank you for everything. Say goodbye, boys. Bye-bye. See ya. See ya. <laughs> Is Slimer the Ghostbusters pet now in this movie? That's a really good point. You know, some of the other ghosts look like vaguely like humans. What did he used to be? Was he that that massive blob <laughs> thing from from Blade? <laughs> I think he was a bollock. <laughs> a green one. He was uh he was Nicki Minaj's cousin's mate's <laughs> swollen bollocks. Yeah. That dude just clearly had chlamydia. I'm like, I'm <laughs> <laughs> 100%.